All right, well, if you want to take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn to Galatians chapter 6. This has nothing to do with this morning's message. It's certainly not from the book of James. And so it's something like out of the blue, okay? All right, I did entitle it, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Y'all remember the Clint Eastwood movie from a long time ago? That was a classic hit, still is, and it was entitled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I was, I was checking as we were singing our last song because I thought something was here that I wanted to show you. Now, the book of Galatians, okay? The book of Galatians is written to the church of Galatia. Not the one about eight miles here, okay? But the church of Galatia, and what had happened was they were turning away from the gospel, okay? And so Paul had some real issues to address in that. And here's what I want you to know. It's something we need to watch out for. It's something we need to watch out for. It's very important that we honor and value the gospel of Jesus Christ and make sure we don't slip in to what these very people did. These very people did. Now, I want to go ahead. I hadn't planned to do this, but hey, that's all right. Okay, I want to read like the first three or four verses of Galatians chapter 1. Now, we're going to chapter 6, okay? But I want to read because, again, I was down here going, oh, yeah, okay. Now, notice, you know, Paul always does a nice introduction to his letters, okay? And, and this time, knowing what's coming, it's, it's even more unique, okay? He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor from man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So he almost sets up an authority type thing. I'm not appointed by man, I'm appointed by God, because the reason why, he's fixing to say some very hard things, okay? He's having to speak very harshly as once. He said, and then he got nice, and said, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself... That's right in the song. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we got this great setup of a, a statement of authority and then this awesome testimony of Jesus Christ. And then he gets right down to the heart of it. I mean, he doesn't waste any time. He says in verse number six, listen carefully. I marvel, I'm amazed, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Let me read that again. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Gospel. Now, what had happened was that the church of Galatia really, you know, had a great start, a wonderful start. And somewhere along the road, some Judaizers and others got in there and they started going back to the law. That was the different gospel. Okay, they were going back to the law. They were leaving the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ and starting to practice. Okay, this law gospel. Now, let me say this. You know, any other gospel but the gospel is not a gospel. Okay? Any other gospel that's not the gospel is not the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And I'm going to tell you very much up front, you know, if you want to go back to, to legalism and the law, um, that is no gospel. That's not good news. That's bad news. Um, I spent, um, I spent uh, about four years in the independent Baptist church system, and, and they were real big on legalism. They're really big on keeping the rules, keeping the rules. And there was no joy, and there was no happiness. We did do a really good job of criticizing everybody else, but we certainly did not criticize ourselves. 
Okay? And you're going to hear that. Now, this came out of a commentary I was reading in preparation for this message. I don't normally read things. I wouldn't even do this on a Sunday morning. But I can't come do it with you tonight. Because I think it's worth hearing. Here's what it said in the commentary. The legalist, the legalist, okay, is not interested in bearing burdens. Instead, he adds to the burdens of others. So a legalist, a person who wants to live by the law, is not interested uh, in bearing burdens. Instead, he wants to add to the burdens of others. In Acts chapter 15, uh, a little bit of church history there in Acts chapter 15, the author writes, Luke writes and says, Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks, on the followers' necks, that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? So, so the legalist will tend to put more burden on you, okay, and then not lift a finger to help move that burden. He goes on and says this. This was one of the sins of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. And this is from Matthew 23. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew 23, 4, it says this. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be done, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Jesus just despised the legalistic system, the, the pharisaical system that puts burden on man because he came to set men free. He finishes with this. The legalist is always harder on other people than he is on himself. That's what I just said about the, legal, the uh, independent Baptist church I was in. We were good at condemning other people, but making sure we were not hard on ourselves, did not condemn ourselves. The legalist is always harder on other people than he is on himself, but the spirit-led Christian, the spirit-led Christian demands more of himself than he does of others. They might be able to help others. So the legalist then will be harder on others and, and again, to promote self and then the spirit-led Christian is harder on himself so that he may be willing to help others. Okay? All right? So be careful. Anytime, anytime we find ourselves wanting to slip back into a gospel that keeps the rules in order to appease God and make us look better, okay, be warned. That's exactly what Paul was saying in the book of Galatians. I marvel, he said, that you are, are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You know, we see time and time again, we see people who get saved, okay, and in the wrong culture, they come in and what they hear constantly is, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this. And instead of hearing about the freedom of Christ and the, and the glorious grace of Jesus Christ, we say, you got to keep the rules. You got to keep the rules. You got to keep the rules. And let me tell you something. There are rules to keep. Can I have an amen? But what happens is it becomes part of our gospel. And that's a dangerous thing. So that's where we pick up with Galatians chapter 6. Okay? Now keep in mind, he's writing to a church that is very legalistic, very condemning, very judgmental. Okay? So there were some people probably, I'm assuming, okay, it's not hypothetical all the way, that got into trouble. So here's what Paul... And by the way, one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite scriptures uh, is this one right here. Dear brothers and sisters... If another believer, if a brother or sister of yours, if someone in the church, if someone in another church, if someone in the neighborhood who happens to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if, if another believer is overcome by some sin. Now, you know what? It, people fall into sin. Come on, it's okay. People fall into sin. Now, the Greek here, the Greek word is an ambush. To be, it almost says this, to be taken from the back. 
to be taken from the back, to be attacked from the back. So, so we see a, if a brother, okay, is overtaken, is ambushed, who falls into a trap, is taken from the back, if this happens, what should our response be? That's what this scripture is about. What should our response be? When we see a brother going down a wrong path, what should we do? When we see a sister going down a wrong path, what should we do? Well, if another believer is overcome, ambushed, or trapped by some sin, you who are godly... Now, don't, don't let that flip you, okay? All right, doesn't mean you've got to be super sane to do this, okay? But it means you are living a spirit-led life and trying to follow Jesus Christ. So you who are godly... Now, listen carefully. Should gently and humbly help. Should gently and humbly help. Now, here's the deal. I, you know, I keep going back. You remember Brent, just what, three weeks ago, preached on Daniel and how they had the edict against you know, prayer? And Daniel went up to his bedroom and threw the window open. And it wasn't like, I'll show you. He just did what he had always done. He went up to his room and he prayed because that's what he did every day. Okay? That's what he did every day. It's just what he always did. So, so when, we, when we get to this point here where it says, you see a person overcome by sin, your godly should gently and humbly help. We need to live our lives in such a gentle and humble way that this is natural for us. Trust me. Trust me. This is very difficult to do. If you have an air of pride and a hard spirit about you, no matter how hard you pry, try, it's going to be hard for that person to receive your gentleness and your humility. It's kind of like what I said. Remember what we said about kindness this morning? Let your be kindness be known. It's got to ooze out of you. It's got to ooze out of you. If you, have, if, if you are known as a man or woman who loves Jesus and with a gentle spirit and a humble spirit, people will normally hear what you've got to say. It may not end well when they say, hey, can I talk to you about something? And you say, well, listen, I really think we need to share. I, I, I really, it seems like you're going down a wrong path. And they may get mad, not like anyway, but the bottom line is your chances are greatly increased if you have a gentle and humble spirit. So we are to go to these people with a gentle and humble spirit, okay, and help that person back. Not stomp them down. Not chuck rocks at them. See, imagine how different it would have been. Imagine, let's tell, you know, one of my, again, one of my favorite stories is the woman taking an adultery. Okay, so we got the Pharisees, we got the legalists, and they go apparently into this woman's house, literally dragging her out of her own bed. How much clothing, we don't know. Okay, drag her down and throw her down in the middle of the circle. You remember the story, don't you? Okay, and then they say to Jesus, okay, the law of Moses says that this woman needs to be, deserves to be stoned. What do you say? What do you say? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine if Galatians 6.1 had happened in these Pharisees' life? Can you imagine them meeting her, knocking on her door, and she comes to the door and say, Hey, Mary, we're just really concerned about you. Um, we, you know, we're just afraid that something's happened in your life that, that could hurt you. Um, listen, we like to take you down. And we know a guy named Jesus, and we would love to introduce you to him. Imagine them taking them down, her down there and saying, Jesus, this is Mary, and she's really struggling right now in her need. Could you help her? Isn't that a different story? Isn't that a different story? That's what it's supposed to be, guys. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's so hard for us, especially the longer we've been saved, the longer we've been in the game. Okay, it's so hard not to be harsh and judgmental. But Paul says we're to gently and humbly help that person 
back into the path. It's not kicking them out. It's bringing them home. It's what God did for you. You know, when I said this morning, that quote from, from Bob Goff, you know, he wants to write a story of redemption. Every, every time we see a brother or a sister stumbling into sin, we should want to write a, be a part of a story of redemption to bring them back home. To bring them back home. So he finishes up by saying, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Don't let pride come in and say, that would never happen to me, because guess what? It can. It can. Now, again, our normal response, okay, uh, is true. It was true in the first century, and it's true also today. Not every person and not every church, but there's a tendency for the church today, at least in Western culture, to have that judgmental spirit. And, and Jesus addressed, addressed that. He's, here's what he said, and you know this one. This is Matthew 7, 3 through 5. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I mean, again, Jesus is such a master storyteller. You know, so he starts out by saying, so you, you look, you know, you're worried, you're, con- you're not concerned, you're worried, it bothers you that your neighbor has a speck in their eye. Okay? And then you turn around, you have this log sticking out of your eye. Okay? So that's the comparison there. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? That is so good. That is so good. Now, again, imagine this log sticking out of my eye, and I'm going to walk up to Pat, okay? And I'm swinging. As I move my head, this log is swinging around, and Pat's going, okay? Pat, hey, listen, Pat. Yeah, preach what you need, bud. You got this speck in your eye. And Pat goes, uh, did you realize you had a log sticking out of your eye? I can't, I don't know, I can't see. I've got a log in my eye. Okay? All right. So imagine that. But imagine this. Imagine Pat's got a speck in her eye. And I walk up to Pat and say, hey, Pat, um, you got a speck in your eye. But you know what? I got, did you know last week I had a log in my eye? Yeah, I really did. And, and you know what? And Jesus helped me get the log out of my eye. And I would sure like to help you get your speck out of your eye. Isn't that a different story? Isn't that a different story? It's a whole different deal when we, again, we, we work from our compassion and love and what Christ has done for us. So he goes on and says this, and this is the harsh part. He says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So then he moves down in verse number 2, moving from that, and says this. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So when a person, the burden he's talking about, okay, the burden he's carrying about is the sin. This person in sin, he's carrying a sin load of guilt and of shame and the bondage back into sin. Okay? So he's carrying that load and he says, share each other's burdens. Go in and help get that burden off of that brother. Off that sister, okay? And in so doing, you obey the law of Christ. Now, we have to go to, because the law of Christ is this, you know, the the law of Christ is love, okay? And we have to go back again to John 13, 34. Have you got that tattooed on your hand yet? Have you got it tattooed on your hand yet? Here's what he says. I give you a new command. Love one another. Say those three words with me. Love one another. One more time. Love one another. See, the Bible, one another's often. We're to one another, one another a lot. 
Okay? I can't tell you how many times it's listed. You know, do this for one another. In this case, he commands us, love one another. You know, Andy Stanley, I believe it was, didn't take time to look it up, okay, had a, had a series on, on love, and here's what he asked. He said, here's a great question. Are you ready? What does love require of me? What does love require of me? I see a brother going down a wrong path. What does love require of me? I see someone hurting. What does love require of me? I see someone going through an addiction. What does love require of me? I see someone in deep grief. What does love require of me? I see someone wrestling with depression. What does love require of me? It's a great question. It's a great question. And Jesus says, you are to love one another. What does this love require of me? And then he says this. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And remember, I preached on this, what, two weeks ago, a week ago? And I said this. I said, how do we gloss over this? I mean, it's like, it's like huge, okay? And, and we just gloss over it. And boy, the church in the 20, 20th century really needs to step up the plate on this one. Sorry, with your pastor and all of us. We need to step up to the plate on this. On this. It's just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Share each other's burdens, and this way obey the law of Christ. Love one another. And then he says this. And I wrote down, I wrote down, I love this one. Now this is, I think, the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Say with me, I am not that important. I am not that important. And you're not. So, so if somehow in your world you said that's beneath me to bend down and help that person, Paul tells us, if you think you're too important for that, you're only fooling yourself. Okay? You are not that important. Don't get puffy. You're not that important. Every once in a while, you'll see me on a Saturday down here cleaning a toilet or, or we'll come in and say, hey, preacher, someone's missed the toilet in the bathroom, and I'll go get a mop and clean it. Oh, preacher, you shouldn't do that. Why not? Since when are preachers above handling a mop? Since when are preachers above cleaning a toilet? Since when is anybody above cleaning a toilet? You remember the story I told you about the meeting at First Baptist Church of Marion? Remember that? They never invited me back after I did this, but that's okay. So Bob Dickerson, who I know, invited me down to a... They were having a deacon's dinner, and they invited me down to speak. And what I did was I spoke about, you know, Jesus serving, washing feet, and I pulled out of my little magic bag of tricks a toilet brush. And I gave it to the chairman of deacons. I said, now I want you to keep this. And remember this, the day you think you're too good to use this, you need to repent. You need to repent. And I'll tell our deacons the same thing. When we lose the fact, if we think we're some kind of governing body, and we lose the fact that we are called to be servants of Christ, I'm called to be a servant of Christ, they are called to be servants of Christ, and we are called to be servants of Christ. Amen? Amen? So when you start thinking you're a little bit puffy, and you're too good, you're not that important. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, Because of the privilege, Paul speaking, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Okay, that's a big word. This warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Legalists think they're better than they really are. 
Legalists think they're above everyone else. They keep more rules, so they're better than you are. They keep more rules than, than the average person, so they're better than you are. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given to us. So be careful, be humble, and get an honest evaluation of yourself. And then he says this. This is Galatians 6, 4, and 5. Pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to your own work. Then, two things are going to happen. Then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. There is satisfaction in a job well done. Can I have amen? Isn't that right? So, so Paul tells them, listen, pay careful attention to your work. Now, you know what happens in the average church. You know what happens in the average empl- place of employment. Okay? You know what happens down at Harrisburg High School. Okay? We don't pay attention to our work. We pay attention to everybody else's work. We look at them and say, look at that person. I do more than they do. Why don't they do as much as I do? I come to church three times a week. Why do they only come two times? And Lord have mercy on the soul of the person who only comes to church once a week. Come on now. Come on. It runs through our heads. You know, they dress this way for church and I dress this way for church. Okay? Keep, keep your attention on your work. On your work. And then watch. And then then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. There's that peace that when you know you've done your best. There's that peace when you know you've done your best. It's true in the secular world, but it's really true in church. It's really true in church. And then, and then this is the best part. And you won't need to compare yourself to everyone else. Go home tonight or tomorrow and look up comparison-itis. That's, it's not a real disease, okay? But you will get lots of hits. You know, I stopped, I, I got cured of comparison-itis. I, um, I, I no longer struck with this disease. People write over, it's so, the reason why is we compare ourselves, I never, you've heard me say this stuff. You know, when you get old, you tell the same stories over and over again. But the good news is, you don't remember them. So that's really great. So anyway, so I remember, you know, my mom, my mom was really not that heavy. She was not. Okay, but she was stocky. Okay. And I can remember to this day, we were at the Roosevelt Mall, walking down the mall, and she there comes this lady that, who was a little bit more than stocky. Okay. And she said to me, she said, I'm not as fat as she is. If I'm lying, I'm dying. If I'm lying, I'm dying. All right, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we, if we pay attention to our world, our work, and what we're doing, we get the satisfaction of don't, and we won't be tempted to compare ourselves to each other. I'm telling you what, it, it causes division in the church. It causes division in families. It causes division in your place of employment. Comparisonitis is a terrible thing. Don't, listen, don't catch yourself comparing yourself to other people. It doesn't matter. If they're slimmer or taller or shorter or fatter, that's the way God made them. Let it stand. Let it be. Let it be. If they go to church once and you go to church three times, let it be. Keep your eyes on your own work. Hebrews chapter, you know, chapter 12, 1, 2. You know, run with patience. The race set before you. Don't run someone else's race. race run the race set before you. Okay, so, so Paul says, man, in verse 5, so listen, we are each responsible for our own conduct. 
I've got to answer to God for me, and you've got to answer to God. Guess what? You know, I promise you this. You're not going to get before the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus is going to say, what do you think of Marcia? What do you think about her? Or Lloyd. Did you know that Lloyd guy? What do you think of him? It ain't going to happen. But he will want to know about me. Amen? So it's really, it's a really a crucial deal. He goes on, Paul goes on in verse 6. Those who, and this one I almost just bypassed. You'll see why in a minute. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. I don't know why compensation pops up in the middle of Galatians chapter 6, but it did. Thank you very much for taking care of your staff. But I do have one request. Be encouragers. We get lots of criticism. Be encouragers. You, your words of encouragement are valuable to us. We need it. We need it. So, so share all good things. Be sure and share some words of encouragement constantly with your staff. Constantly with your And not just the ministers. The support staff also that we have. Then he goes on verse number 7. Now listen, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Okay? You will always harvest what you plant. So if you sow judgment, what are you going to get? Judgment. If you're going to sow grace, what are you going to get? Grace. It's a law. It's a law. You ask any farmer, you cannot plant corn and, expect, and get soybeans. You just can't do it. Whatever you plant, whatever you sow, is what you're going to harvest. Now listen to this. Look at verse number 8. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, those who only live for self, and by the way, legalists do exactly that. Those who are enamored with the law do exactly that. They live for self. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from that Spirit. Question, which is better? Would you like to harvest some decay and death or some everlasting life? What you up for? What kind of harvest do you want? Who's up for death and decay? Well, when you live for self, that's your harvest. But when you are spirit-led and live by the Spirit, you harvest everlasting life. Easy choice, isn't it? Easy choice. Easy. Yeah, I, wrote, I wrote on Facebook, you know, someone made a comment this morning about, Dwayne, you know, ever since summer break, the people are going, look, dude, I learned a long time. I used to really, I just knew if y'all didn't come to church, it was all my fault. I preached too long. I preached too Lord. I, pre- I preached too shout loud. I preached too soft. If, if you didn't come to church at all, you know, I figured out you either come to church or you don't. It has nothing to do with me. Okay. So I put on Facebook. I said, you know, you could go play golf. You could go see some sports stuff. You can do this or go worship the Creator Universe. You know, Creator of the Universe. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Amen. It's like a no-brainer. Well, same thing here. Same thing here. You know, what harvest do you want? I think I'll go with the eternal life. So he goes back, and this is, actually, this is Galatians chapter 5. We're going back a chapter. Here's what he says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Not self. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And this is a terrible illustration. I don't even like it, okay? But I, I heard a long time ago, and, and it's not about South Georgia dog fights. Y'all been to a dog fight? Probably not. I haven't even been to a dog fight. But, you know, they train dogs to fight each other. Well, I, a man had two dogs, and they were fighting each other. One was black and one was white, okay? And so a guy walked up and said, hey, are those your dogs fighting? He said, yeah, they are. They fight a lot. And it was, he goes, which one's going to win? He said, the one I say sick them to. Okay, so which of our natures, you know, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. And the one you feed and the one you say sick them to is the one that's going to prosper. Is it going to be for self or is it going to be a spirit-led life through the Holy Spirit? Which one's it going to be? Which one's it going to be? Now, he goes on and finishes now in 6-9. So let's not get tired. Anybody get tired? Let's not get... Y'all need to hear this. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. Now, let me just tell you this. When, you get, when you're in the harness a lot, it's easy to get tired. You all know this story, Todd. This man's on staff and not even paid. We might as well give him an office. <laughs> He's here all the time doing stuff for the church. And then, by the way, I shouldn't name a name because there are several in this room who fit that category. Okay? But, but here's what Paul said. Let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. Someone say, just the right time. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I wonder how many times we've missed wonderful blessings and victories because we quit. Because we gave up. We quit and we gave up. Man, let me read to you again. At just the right time... We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. A long time ago, I heard a poem, and I, I didn't, that's all I knew. I knew the title and didn't know it, didn't know who wrote it. Uh, John Whitner wrote it, and it's entitled, Don't Quit. You may have heard this before. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill... When the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure comes about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt, and you can never tell just how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight. When your heart is hit, it, it's when things seem worse that you must not quit. Isn't that good? Didn't like it? Oh. Well, Okay. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, like when the preacher reads a poem and you didn't like it, um, whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So beware. Be careful. Um, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of, of Christ to a different gospel. And, and keep in mind this. You're not going to wake up one day and go, I'm going back to the law. I'm going to get me a sheep and slaughter it. 
That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when, when, we, when we find some kind of satisfaction in rule keeping and we keep our eye on that instead of eyes on Jesus. I do, and because I do, I'm better than you. I do, and because I do, I'm better than you. Beware of that. Beware of that. Let's pray. Hey, Father, thank you so much for allowing me to share this tonight. I pray it spoke to our hearts, Father. Um, you, through your Son, Jesus Christ, paid a marvelous price for this glorious gospel of grace. Help us to savor it and love it and gulp it down, Father, as we would a drink of cold water. And when we are tempted, and we will be, and when we are tempted somehow to, to go back to works, to performance, and thinking we are better because we do more, Father, just remind us that we are sinners saved by your amazing grace. And we, yes, we are, if we trust Christ, we are children of God. But it's not because of what we've done. It's what you have done. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who you are. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.